There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Chris Maloney, Chief Marketing Officer at TaxSlayer. Prior to TaxSlayer, Chris was CMO of Can Capital. He was a CEO of Gremlin Social Media and Chief Marketing Officer for three major brands, including Wells Fargo Advisors, Experian, and Scott Trade. I've known Chris for a number of years through the CMO Club. And we've had quite the great discussions over the years, as well as the adventures together. So today we're going to talk a lot about his pathway, you know, his career over the preceding years, as well as Tax Slayer and the crazy growth that they're seeing over 200% in the last couple of years. And it's a 50-year-old company. A lot of companies would love that kind of growth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Maloney. Well, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we got a lot to talk about, but I thought we could start with your background and you know where you started your career and what was your path to become CMO at TaxSlayer. Sure. So, you know, I'm one of those few rare people who actually, I think, started out in marketing and have stayed in marketing more or less my whole career. I think the primary reason I got into marketing was I was a huge fan of the original Apple Macintosh. Had one back in high school and used to do graphic design and You know, the first few things I ever did in marketing were really trying to recreate my favorite rock and roll logos. 
is what everybody does in high school. But I managed to do so with the very first Mac and really got into graphic design and, and sort of the power of the visuals and really the first Apple. And from there on, was just always doing design and layout and started out as a creative director and then really got heavy into database marketing and worked with a number of agencies and marketing agencies that specialized in you know, either growing customer base or a lot of customer retention and customer loyalty type programs. After that, I had an opportunity to go from really being on the agency side, if you will, to becoming the client side and actually being a head of marketing. My first senior marketing job on the client side was with a big cable company. And I think it's one of those jobs where you say you always have to have had a job that you really didn't like so that you knew a good job when you had it. And (laughs) the cable industry was really, really tough because they just weren't really good at, at customer service and customer loyalty. And I had a boss who was not a marketer. They were more of a cable you know, micromanaging operator. And so it was tough to be in a marketing role with a company that really didn't understand it. And so that was the job that, you know, I learned that I I like the client side, but I also, the culture is really, really important. And so fortunately, my next job and my first CMO job was CMO at Scott Trade. And I was at Scott Trade during the period of time from 06 to 2010, where we grew from bringing a kind of a lesser known investment company to being one of the big three online investment companies. And we quadrupled in size while I was there in terms of both employees and customers. And it was just really a lot of fun to ride that wave. And that's what really taught me about online and digital marketing and the power of digital marketing. And we were big and really leveraged it powerfully during that time. I was then recruited to be head of marketing for Experian, which Everybody knows them as a credit bureau and a data analytics company, but they also have a pretty big direct-to-consumer business that was about a billion dollars in revenue when I joined. And we had a lot of fun and did a lot of really cool creative there with stuff like, you may remember the free credit report and free credit score band where the band kind of played in the basement about talking about all their life's problems and had a lot of fun, a lot of really interesting, catchy, creative and you know, it reminded me, I think, that in the digital age, you, you can still have really great and engaging creative. And if you blend it with the right digital strategy, you know, they both play together really well. And that campaign won a ton of awards and it's a lot of fun. And that whole era was great. And then I got a call from a recruiter about a financial services job. And, and I've really been in financial services marketing my whole career. And Wachovia had been acquired by Wells Fargo, and they were going to be doing a major rebrand and really trying to digitize the experience as they moved from Wachovia to Wells Fargo. And so I ran marketing for the investment arm, which was Wells Fargo Advisors, which is the third largest investment brokerage in America, and uh, had a really fun time there helping to get that brand updated and digitizing the brand and really getting to understand the multi-channel relationship that happens in the investment space. And then took a role as a chief marketing officer for an online finance company in Atlanta. That company went through a lot of transition and I found out about the opportunity here at TaxLayer. It was a perfect move for me, kind of that I love the mid-sized financial services company that can do some fun and aggressive things. And we've had a lot of fun and success here. And I've been down here now in Augusta, Georgia for about a year and a half. 
Nice, nice. A lot of great brands on there. And the, I remember the early days of Scott Trade myself. I was a customer, and the service model that was adopted there with the local branches was amazing. I know you guys got a lot of awards back in the day. So yeah, we were we were good friends with all the JD Power and Associates folks, and it was really interesting because I think our CEO had a vision that even though we were an online brand, we needed to provide that heightened level of service. You know, while I was there, we tracked that about 40% of our new customers came from a referral. And it really taught me that if you treat your customers well, you can grow your business by getting referral and having a very positive, you know, net promoter score and a great referral program. And that was one of the keys to the success at Scott Trade was great retention and then great referral. Right. Right. Well, the one thing that stood out to me, I remember, I think I was applying for a college savings account for my daughter and going through the application process. I think as soon as I hit the button to submit the application, probably my memory's a little fuzzy, but it felt like about three seconds later, the phone was ringing from down the street, which was the local Scott trade office saying, asking me if I had any issues or any problems submitting what I needed to submit. (laughs) We had a really cool incentive program there where the branch managers at that time were incented on both lead conversion and customer satisfaction. It was incredibly effective because it, it put a personal touch on something that people were thinking of as a as an online experience. And right. we tracked and measured all of that through our CRM and implemented a pretty, a pretty robust CRM program while we were there. And that allowed us to take the digital relationship and really personalize it very quickly. And it was an incredibly huge investment, a real tribute to the founder and CEO, Roger Riney, that he put the money into that sort of level of service for an online company, because all the consultants we talked to told us not to spend that much on branches and brick and mortar. But in our case, it paid off incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, you've had a lot of different roles across different types of companies, to your point, mostly financial services, but have there been any mentors or kind of pivotal moments along the way? You know, I've had a lot of mentors. I think, you know, the three that really stick out for me, when I was with a marketing services agency called Merits, I had a boss His name was Mark Shipley, and he was president of the company. And we were in a really rapid growth mode, and I was doing a lot of hiring. I was hiring for marketing strategy, and we were like the loyalty program operator and points program operator for most of the big banks and credit card companies. And we were growing like crazy back at that time. And so I was hiring a lot of people, and I remember going in to meet with Mark and asking him, you know, in terms of my bonus and my incentives and my performance review, what's the most important thing? to you? Is it, you know, growth? Is it new customers? Is it customer satisfaction? And he said, the most important thing is that I'm going to look at the last person that you hired. And that's going to be how I think of whether you're doing the right thing. And it was really fascinating because it put a high premium on people and hiring the right people and growing your talent and identifying that your job as a manager and a leader is to identify the right people for the right role. And It almost scared me that he said, I'm going to judge you on the last person you hired. But it stuck with me ever since. You know, that's about a 15-year-old story. And I'm pretty rigorous in my hiring process, I think, as a result of of Mark coaching me on that way. The second mentor while I was at Wells Fargo, the CEO of the investment company, Danny Ludeman, Wells Fargo Advisors, he had 
moved a lot of the company from Richmond, Virginia to St. Louis. And he really saw the value in making sure that the company was very active in the community and built up both through charity work and civic activity, the engagement of your employees and being a big part of the community and how that paid off in terms of employee enthusiasm and engagement. And, you know, I was hiring some digital folks and millennials are very much focused on how are you engaged in doing the right thing for your community and not just a business that's operating there, but are you really driving and engaging and promoting the community? And I learned a lot from him about that the importance of a business really connecting to the community and how that pays off in terms of your talent and your customer satisfaction and all, all the things that matter in the long run. And then the, the last but not least is Roger Riney from Scott Trade. I think he had a focus and a vision where he proceeded you know, from the good to great model of what they call the hedgehog principle, which is do what you do well and keep doing it and don't let anyone really distract you from the things you do well and, you know, don't chase too many shiny objects. And at the time, sometimes I thought that was limited, but I look back and I think about when you really have a vision and you passionately pursue it, it pays off. And so those are the three that really stand out to me. Well, Chris, let's talk about Tax Slayer because you guys have seen some crazy growth. I think it, if my numbers are right, 200% over the last three years, and yet the company's been around for 50, right? Yeah. So what's driving that transformational growth? I mean, a lot of companies that have been around for 50 years would love to see 200% growth. Yeah, we've had a big burst in volume and a large part of it is due to the fact that we have two markets that we serve. We serve both a professional market where tax professionals use our software and we have a direct-to-consumer product. And both have had you know, very strong growth and we've had some large contracts that have really helped us to take advantage of the fact that more and more people are wanting to do their own taxes. And if they're looking for a professional, that we're a great software for those professionals to use. That's great. What, you know, would you have advice for other CMOs, if you will, that are looking to try to drive the growth equation for their business? What you've seen at TaxFlare? Yeah, I would say that it's hard to get those types of numbers in terms of growth. And there, there are a lot of factors to that. And it's not all purely marketing, obviously. But what I have noted is everybody, I think, realizes that you have to master the digital space first. And I really came across that back in the days of Scott Trade, where we were able to outmaneuver some much larger competitors as a challenger brand by just being faster and smarter and more nimble with our digital strategy. And I'd say that's really been our key here is that, you know, take advantage if you're a challenger brand, take advantage of the fact that the bigger companies sometimes move a lot slower and have more bureaucracy and it takes them a while to make decisions. And if you can be nimbler and faster, you can take advantage of market trends much more quickly. One of the stories that I like to tell where I was on the other side of that speed opportunity was when we were launching into social media at Wells Fargo Advisors, we came up with a really good strategy of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to get into social media. But we got bogged down between legal and compliance and different brand debates. And it took us over a year to get a single Facebook page launched. And I think when, you, when you're in an environment like that, where it takes you a while to do something like Facebook, the other guys can maneuver around you. So I've been on both sides of that. I've been on the, the slow side and the fast side, and I prefer the fast side. <laughs> Let's talk about TaxSlayer marketing. What does your go-to-market plan look like? I know you, you have some sports activations that you've got in market yeah. with the TaxSlayer Bowl and football season is upon us. Yeah. But 
Tell us a little bit more about how else you go to market. I think that, you know, as any marketer deals with, it's a very complicated blend of how do you build your brand through traditional media or sponsorships? And then when do you leverage that in the digital space to capture those customers? And I think it's kind of like, you know, being here in Augusta, I'll say it's kind of like your golf game. You're never done trying to learn more and trying to do it better. How do you get better at, at balancing brand versus direct response marketing or digital marketing? And I would say that historically, TaxLayer has invested a ton of money primarily in the South and the Southeastern part of the United States. And we've been able to see that translate into high brand awareness and high traction among gaining customers. And we've done more and more outside of the Southeast. We've done some work in the West and sponsored some folks in Colorado. And we've done some stuff on the East Coast that was pretty significant. And then we've got a an arena in the North Central United States, the TaxLayer Center. And we've done some really selective branding where we thought it would be able to plant us and remind people that we've been around a long time. We're the origins of TaxLayer are over 50 years old. It is a complex mix of branding and digital. And we're constantly looking at, you know, where do we spend money that we can build brand? One of the cool things about the brand, I would say, is that it has both a description of the category we're in being taxes and you know being a tax company but also the fun and sort of the hip modern angle of slayer because we're helping people both to conquer their taxes as well as to you know get the biggest refund or pay the least that they have to and do it the easiest way they can so we get to have fun with that message i think even though we're in a category that people wouldn't think is a fun category we have a lot of fun with it we did a major rebrand last year where we focused on the fact that you know, we help the customer, we help the tax preparer be the tax slayer, and really you know, putting kind of the, the helmet on the customer and the end user of our products. That really was a good empowerment message that we think helped boost us quite a bit. That's a really cool message, uh, using the customer as the hero in that regard. That's yeah. pretty cool. You know, from your days, you mentioned it just a second ago, but from your days from Scott Trade to now at TaxSlayer, you're taking on much bigger brands and you're winning. So, you know, how do you think about getting your marketing ROI or or you focus on attribution and how you make each dollar work harder? Yeah. You know, we're we're very, very focused on attribution models. And I think we do a very good job of coming up with, you know, you can get 70% of what you need through Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
you know, data, and then you've got to make a leap with maybe 30% of it where you're just not going to get the answer. The, the old joke that I know that 50% of my marketing works, but I don't know which 50%. My kind of update on that is that I know that 70% of my marketing works, but I'm not always sure which 70% is working. Right. <laughs> and so I think we've gotten the ability to be more sophisticated, but attribution creates a really complex thing where building brand awareness and building perceptions of your brand are, are really, really hard things to measure. We tend to measure clicks. And if you go too far down the path of just measuring online behavior and clicks, you'll overweight yourself dramatically toward transactional marketing and underweight yourself in brand building and not fill the top of the funnel. So my team talks about it probably on a daily basis. Where are we looking in the funnel? Are we building at all aspects of the funnel? And do we think that our attribution approach is, is correct? It probably comes up daily. One of the unique things about our business is that people really only think of doing their income taxes between January and April. So we have a very concentrated spurt of business. And the rest of the year, we're talking about setting up new tracking and new strategies. And so you kind of a sprint, and then you have time to think about what you want to do on the next sprint. It's a very unique business, but it, it prevents you from having the ability to do ongoing and recurring testing. You really have to kind of build all your testing and then be ready to hit the start button. And then when you get into season, how nimble can you be? How quickly can you adjust? So it's a unique business in that regard. It's almost like digital marketing in a, in a hyper digital arena. And we're, we're always looking to get better at it, but we feel like we've got a model that works really well for our category. I have this envision of, of you with a cot that you live at the office from January to April. There were definitely days in tax season where we had to order pizza for dinner and, and maybe have energy drinks in the morning, but uh, it's not quite that bad. I think we have a, a very family-friendly business that tries to do a work-life balance, but as a CMO, you're always on duty because you're managing social media and PR and digital, and those things never turn off. And so I do think during tax season, you're kind of in all-on mode. But uh, I'll tell you, in May, everybody pretty much takes a break. So we do a big company trip where all full-time employees are taken on a paid trip somewhere out of the country. And everybody has a great time on that trip and looks forward to it. That sounds awesome. So Chris, a lot of marketers are developing content. And whether it's for B2B audiences or B2C, you know, I would love to get your perspective on how content works and, and how you're using content at TaxSlayer. Sure. It's a balancing act. I think the one advantage that we have is that everybody in the country typically files income taxes. So we have a pretty large base. The key there is deciding which segments of the population that we want to build content for to help them in their financial lives. And then the second question, and I really spent a lot of time on this question at Wells Fargo when we were developing content, which is how much of the content should be about directly related to the products and services you offer and how much should be tied to the overall lives of your customers. And right. in many cases, it's their financial lives and things that are important to them that aren't about maybe how they do their taxes or if they get a refund or how they invest their money, but very specifically about what they're going to do with it and what it means to them, maybe even more the emotional side of the business. So we've tried to move down the path of really understanding rather than the tactical and operational elements of what we offer and writing content about that, really tapping into the emotions and the, the benefits and the problems people are trying to solve. So I think that strategy has allowed us to get better engagement. And 
we view content as being the hub and then all of the different channels that you can distribute content as being, you know, we're going to look for the, the way that customer wants to consume it. Is it video? Is it a written article? Is it a blog post or a website thing? Do we send it out by email? But content is really at the hub. Where we've had the most engagement is where we can create something that is personalized, but maybe not to the point of being one-on-one. So where we can say, you know, here are tax tips for the Uber and Lyft driver. And here's what Uber and Lyft drivers deal with and their attitude and what they see as challenges in terms of their taxes and why their taxes might be different from someone in the military or someone who's a teacher and try to get personalized to someone, but not necessarily at the one-on-one level. And then we try to have fun with it. I mean, I think people are inundated with content that you've got to have it be unique and different and and not feel like a you know, like a white paper or a news article, which pushes you into doing more graphics and more video and things like that. But it is a little bit of trial and error, Alan. I mean, we've tried stuff we thought would work that didn't work. And we've put some stuff out there that we weren't that excited about that got a ton of pickup. So it's a little bit of a trial and error, but we do believe it builds a lot of trust and reputation. And and so we're big believers in content. Have you figured out a way to connect it to revenue. I know a lot of people struggle with that. And I don't know that there's a, there's definitely probably not a holy grail out there for sure. Yeah. I think if you can create content where someone's willing to give you information to get a deeper piece of content or a more personalized piece of content, and there's a value exchange, you can start translating that into an ROI. So if you put something out there that people have to sign up for to get, and it has value to them, we track that stuff and we do see benefit there. But you're right. It, it, there is no holy grail. You have to have a, a good gut feel around the content. And I would say you do look at whether the content is shared and how much it's viewed and, and that kind of stuff. And you get a gut feel of what sort of value can you place on it. A lot of content is very upper funnel. So it is branding. And so it isn't going to be as trackable as a lot of your digital stuff. Gotcha. Let's step back a little bit. I love to get to know the person. And I think listeners like hearing their you know, kind of personal stories as well. And I love asking this question, which is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Well, I would say that, you know, one of the things that really gave me perspective, I have a big painting on my wall at work that's of back to where sort of my heritage is from in Ireland. And I remember going there as a teenager and then going back there about 10 years ago I think for me personally, I had somebody one time advise me to put a few things on the wall in your office that that really remind you of who you are and kind of some principles. And I learned a lot about really how people interact and how important it is to, to have a lot of friends and to build your reputation by being good and friendly to other people. And I, I believe that's something that I really observed heavily by going to Ireland. It's one of the friendliest places you could possibly imagine. And then I also have a picture on the wall at work of the Cardinals after they won the World Series a few years back. The pride and the enthusiasm that we have around sports, I think, is something that translates in some ways to our work environment. It's it's a competitive thing, but it should also be a fun thing. You know, it's not just about being bitterly competitive. When you and I meet up at the CMO club, I'll often run into people at a CMO club summit who are in competitive businesses or industries. 
and you still feel like you're friends with them. It isn't that competitive of an environment. It reminds me a little bit of the of the sports analogy where we're all trying to get ahead here and hopefully I can get ahead of you at this particular time, but we're all working hard and trying to do the best we can and to, and to keep as many friends as you can. And so I, I love that sports analogy. And then the other thing that I often think back about the sports analogy is that, you know, as a manager or a leader, you're not going to be able to hit the ball or throw the ball or catch the ball. You're the one who's encouraging the team to do that. And so I think I've always used a lot of sports analogies to try to say that as a leader, you're, you're not responsible to do the work. You're responsible to encourage others to do the best that they can. And so I've always liked baseball in that regard because it, it's one of those sports where that's the role that the manager or the coach plays. Got it. What fuels you? What drives you? You know, I'm a real high tech person and I love, I love marketing and I love the power of a good message. And I've loved it ever since the beginning of my first Apple Mac. You know, I've, I've been a marketing person, I guess, at, at my roots going way, way back. In terms of what I like to have fun with, you know, I've got a few sports teams that I like, but I'm also really into live music and live entertainment. You know, that ties directly into marketing because I think in today's super, super busy lives, we've got to inform and entertain people. And so wherever we can get a little bit of entertainment into the marketing world, I, I love it. But I try to see a lot of live concerts. My wife and I, for almost 10 years, were able to see a live concert a week. And so we've got a pretty good set of tickets framed on the wall of all the concerts we've been to. But <laughs> now with, you know, with having a three-year-old, it's a little hard to get to as many concerts, but we go, we still go to quite a few and we love entertainment. And now we've really become big fans of golf being down here in, in Georgia and Augusta. So, you know, have a few fun hobbies and a few hobbies that tie back to business. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's something I would aspire to have one concert a week. That's great. It was pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, we had a good run there and, you know, just had a family reunion where we took the whole, I've got a gigantic family and we took a group of 30 or 40 of us to a concert. So it's a fun experience. I think experiences are what drives a lot of our memories. And for me, I think music is one of those things where you think back to when you heard a song or when you were particularly into a particular type of music and it brings back fond memories. And anytime we can live that way, it's a good thing. Good. I know marketers are students of the business, and I'm curious if there's any brands or companies that you're following or you think other people should take notice of. Yeah, there's quite a few brands, I would say. It's dangerous because you don't want to repeat sort of some of the brands right. everybody knows and respects. But, you know, I have to mention Apple because it was the, it was the thing that got me into marketing. Right. And it, I'd say the thing about Apple is not necessarily the thing that, that impresses me most about the company is not necessarily the brand, although they have one of the top brands in the world. And I think they're the highest market cap of any company in the United States. The thing that's impressed me about Apple is their ability to take a brand and to maneuver the products over the years to meet where consumer demand and consumer technology was. I mean, I, I was a Mac computer person, and then the iPhone revolutionized the industry, and before that, the iPad and iTunes revolutionized the music industry, and I'm sure that'll happen again you know, with, with other technology they develop. But I'd say they're the one that I respect the most because they haven't just stayed in one category. They've evolved their brand to mean something to multiple generations. And another example of that, I'll go to entertainment. 
is the Star Wars brand. I mean, I see as many Star Wars t-shirts now as I did in the 80s. It's kind of cool because it brings multiple generations together. So I feel that way about Apple and Star Wars. I'll pick on those two brands for today. No, those are great. Yeah, those are two that have stuck with me. The, you know, the more modern brands, I think I love it when a brand has has the ability to build their business through great reputation. And I think we all have those. So I won't try to throw in those, throw my hat into that list. But anytime where people hear about you through friends and colleagues, there's a lot of that going on right now. And it happens really fast. That's great. Last question for you. What do you see the future of marketing? You know, obviously, we all know it's become more digital and more measurable. And I think that trend will continue. And we're pretty clear on the fact that you know, social media has become a way for people to share brands and make recommendations and make reviews. I think all of those trends will continue. I think that marketing is going to have to evolve to really go down the path of understanding what emotions that you're evoking in people in a digital world and making sure that we turn what is, you know, your phone into something that's an experience. And I think that marketing is a little bit behind in terms of the mobile experience and mobile marketing. I think that's going to be a big thing that that changes over the next few years as we master that as a technology that can deliver on a brand experience. And I would say that not losing sight that brand still matters even in the digital age. But how do you how do you get that brand across and give someone a very positive perception of your brand through sponsorships and social media and interactions and entertainment. That's a complex world to navigate. And we will never measure 100% of it. So hopefully we still are allowed to have some gut feel and that, you know, marketing is the blend of art and science. It's definitely moving more toward the science, but let's not forget that there's a lot of art behind marketing too. Well, I can't thank you enough for the contributions today. It's been fun. And as always, it's fun to hang out with you when we see each other. So I can't wait to see you. I think in Nashville, we'll probably see each other, hopefully. Yeah. The next CMO Club event is right around the corner. So looking forward to it. And and thanks for the time today, Alan. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me, with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.